How did my father die? A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Now the Jedi are all but extinct. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. The Force? And the Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. I need a midichlorian count. The reading's off the chart. Over 20,000. Even Master Yoda doesn't have a midichlorian count that high. No Jedi has. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Master, sir, I heard Yoda talking about midichlorians. I've been wondering, what are midichlorians? Midichlorians are a microscopic life form that resides within all living cells. They live inside me. Inside your cells, yes. And we are symbionts with them. Symbionts? Life forms living together for mutual advantage. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. They continually speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. When you learn to quiet your mind, you'll hear them speaking to you. I don't understand. With time and training, Annie, you will. Size matters not. Look at me. Does me by my size, do you? Hmm? Hmm. And where you should not. For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us. And binds us. Luminous beings are we. Not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yes, even between the land and the ship. Yes, Jedi strength flows from the force. But beware of the dark side. Anger, fear, aggression. The dark side of the Force are they. Easily they flow, quick to join you in a fight. If once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny, consume you at will, as it did Obi-Wan's apprentice. Vader, is the dark side stronger? No, no, no. But the busier, more seductive. But how am I to know the good side from the bad? You will know. When you are calm, at peace, passive, a Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense. Never attack. But tell me why I can't... No, no, there is no why. <sighs> Nothing more will I teach you today. Clear your mind of questions. And welcome to the Geekiest Show Ever, number six, episode six. And this week, if you can't tell by that three and a half minute opening... We're talking Star Wars, but this is going to be just the first in a series of Star Wars episodes, and we're not going to do it in a row, so next week we're not going to talk about Star Wars again. In fact, 
On the next show, it's probably going to be about the new Star Trek movie, because sitting here next to me in the MyMac Studios is Chad Perry. Hello, Chad Perry. Hey, Tim. So this time tomorrow, not quite this time, about an hour from now tomorrow. We'll be sitting in the theater watching the new Star Trek. I, I'm dying to see it. Yep. And, and we have to talk about it on the next podcast. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, there's just no other way around it. Right. And I think everyone listening to this show is probably a geek enough that they're all going to go see it. So if you come back to our next show in two weeks, Geekiest Show 7, we will be talking about Star Trek. And it probably won't just be the new movie. We'll probably just all Star Trek. Yeah. But this week is going to be all Star Wars. And because it's such a big topic, and especially what we're going to be focusing on, uh, the Force, the technology, not necessarily the movies, I wanted to bring in a larger cast of characters. Last week it was just... Myself and Guy Searle, and he's returning. Hi, Guy. Hey, what's going on, Tim and Chad? Hey, hey Guy. And uh, obviously, Guy, you are a little bit older than Chad and I. You were um, in your 20s when you saw Star Wars for the first time. Chad yes, and I, I were, I was seven and you were nine. Yep. And you have no idea how depressing that is right now. <laughs> you never got to play with the toys, and for that, you didn't I get any of the toys. I, I pity you with with all the force. It's <laughs> <laughs> I feel sorry for you, David Cohen. You're here with us. I am. And how old were you when you first saw Star Wars? I was nine. You were nine, so you were perfect yeah. age as well. Yep. So um, you missed last week's show because your wife gave birth. She did, and um, the uh, the new arrivals keep me up every night as it is. So. L- little Leia, uh, no? yeah, Char- Charlotte, not Leia. <laughs> but, uh, I, I keep I keep just keeping an eye on her just to make sure none of the toys start hovering over her crib. There you go. <laughs> the medium chlorian count for this one is low. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to bring someone else on the show this week. His name is Neil Monks. He's a contributor at MyMac.com. And Neil sent me a picture. I, I had actually sent something out to the staff talking about Star Wars, uh, Star Wars figures. My my youngest daughter, who is going to be six here pretty mm-hmm. soon, said she wants some Star Wars figures. And Neil sent me a picture of some of his Star Wars figures. And, boy, that brought some memories back, I could tell you. Hi, Neil. Hi there, Tim. So, Hello, uh, everyone else. So, hey, so you, you sent me this picture. You still have these original Star Wars toys. Yeah, and I should make the point here that I'm not a collector. Half of these figures have been chewed on by dogs, and none of them are in the boxes and things, but they were in the loft of my parents' house that I inherited a few years ago. And so, what a, you know, just for fun, I brought them down, and, you know, I suppose one should say played with them. That's not technically what I did. Since I'm 38 years old, that would be a bit dubious. But I did photograph them, and it was they are rather fun to look at. I would play with them. <laughs> Right now, he would. I went on to eBay because, I, you know, I looked at the Star Wars figures in stores around here, and it's like four or five bucks for one figure. And I'm like, at, at her age, she's just going to tear them up anyways. Mm-hmm. I'm not spending mm. 20 not bucks for four little... Yeah. So I just went on eBay, and I found, a, a I think there was like 10 or 20 of them in there. And they were assorted and a couple duplicates, but she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. She just wants to play with the little Star Wars figures. And it was like 20 bucks, 5 bucks shipping and handling. I just went ahead and bought them. And mm-hmm. when they come, she'll have a good time with them. Yeah. Um, but, but just make sure you get a, one of the old Hoth Wampers with the little arms that flick back and you let go and they'll knock over all your little Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> that, they, that was by far the coolest. Um, I remember my my favorite Star Wars moment when it comes to the toys was there was a kid that lived across the street named Kenny. 
And uh, he didn't live over there full time. It was his father's house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his father tried to spoil him endlessly because he didn't live with his dad. And so mm-hmm. his dad would spend a lot of money on toys for him. And he seemed to have every single Star Wars figure and vehicle out there. And I hated him for it. Because <laughs> my parents didn't spend a lot of money on me to get Star Wars <laughs> stuff. And um, with the, the Christmas that the Millennium Falcon came out, the big one, mm-hmm. yes. uh, I got it for Christmas. And... Kenny didn't, and I oh. loved it. And the, there was a shortage of those. A mm-hmm. lot of kids didn't get the Millennium Falcon because number one, it was expensive; it was like mm-hmm. fifty dollars. Yeah. And number two, they didn't make enough to meet demand. Mm-hmm. So a mm-hmm. lot of kids didn't get them, and he was one that didn't get them. And I, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Revenge is mine, Kenny. So let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the Force and. What your interpretation of the Force was? We'll start with you, David Cohen. Uh, well, I, I remember, um, you know, I, I read the, the novel of Star Wars quite a few times before I ever saw the movie, um, and so you know, I kind of, I, I, as, as I said, I read it through three or four times. So um, you know, I, I, I knew a lot about what was going on in the plot before I saw the movie, um, and I was, I was got the impression that that you know that kind of. People, people in this in the Star Wars universe didn't really respect the Jedi or the Force all that much, just because you know, kind of nobody had seen it being used or or uh, enacted, um, you know, for for many many years. And and I, and I thought that 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 really contrasted between you know when when the when the prequels first came out and you saw Jedi's at the height of their powers and abilities. You know, really, it was quite different. If you look at the the uh, lightsaber fighting you saw in those first movie in the prequel movies compared to the original movies, it's you know it's 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 light years apart, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you know, to me, it always it. it, it uh, the Force and, 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 you know, Han Solo's approach to the Force and everything was almost like it was a myth and nobody really believed in it. And that was purely because, you know, nobody's seen it for such a long time. Neil? Yeah, I think I probably feel much the same sort of way as, as David did. Except I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I, perhaps I was the youngest. I don't, I don't know how old you were, Tim, when you saw it. I was seven. Okay, you were about the same age as I am. I, what was it, 1977 it came out? Correct. So I would have been about six years old, and I, it didn't really dawn on me as being anything very specific. It was just, these, this was this sort of magical thing that these particular characters could do. It didn't really, I, I didn't have any deep feeling about it until I got really much older, and you got to the sort of the Empire Strikes Back. Yep, same I, with me. Around that time where I was 11, you were 10, Empire comes out, and the forces... Uh, much more prominent in that movie with Yoda teaching Luke. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ghost of Ben Kenobi comes back and haunts everyone as a poltergeist. Precisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the I force mean, if I could was just make, different. Yeah, to make sort of a comic book analogy here, it's sort of, the force was sort of, you know, the same sort of way that Do- uh, Doctor Strange has, has magic. There's no real reason he does. It's just there. There's no depth to it. Um, or, or why Superman has his powers? They just it just sort of changes why he has those powers on an ad hoc basis. Yeah, um, they, they never. It wasn't. It, it's not. It never had any great depth to me. What do you think, guy? You were older than we were. Uh, yeah. What What was the force in your opinion? 
Uh, the the force to me just seemed to be, and you know, it it kind of along the lines of of what they said in the first three movies. It was this all encompassing f- uh, force that that kind of dealt with anything and everything that was alive, and you were able to manipulate things based on you know. I mean, they're picking up rocks and stuff, which obviously aren't alive. But the air and and everything else that's around it is what they're actually manipulating, and you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think that um, it was it was originally just used as as a plot point, and it grew to so much more as as the movies went on. Well, when you look at the what Star Wars the first movie really was, it's the young apprentice uh, learning his destiny. There's an old wizard who's going to steer him in the right direction. There's the rogue. There's the princess, uh, somewhat comedy relief in the droids, mm-hmm. um, and they have to go after the dark wizard to rescue the princess and eventually blow up his castle, right? That's basically mm-hmm. Star Wars, <laughs> or Harry Potter, depends on how you look at it. Um, Wait, you mean this story's been told before? You know, the funny thing is that there was something online that I read not too long ago, and it compared the plot points of Harry Potter and Star Wars and it's amazing how closely they match up. Mm. It, it, it's it's quite interesting. So I don't think, at least in my mind, that the, the Force was what was revealed in the later movies. I always thought of it as, as more of a, with the Jedi, a religious thing. Mm-hmm. Vader re- refers to it as, you know, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Uh, they're Jedi Knights, kind of like Knights of the Templar mm-hmm. or something like that. So I always thought of it as kind of a religion, and if you believe in it, and if you studied enough, you could, you too could learn to, you know, be one with the mm-hmm. force. That's why they say, "May yeah. the force be with you." What kind, do you think, Chad? Kind of like, yeah, kind of like a samurai martial arts. Absolutely, thing. may the yeah. force be with you. This is something that is in you too. So may the force be with you. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Oh, I think I, I kind of approached it the same way. Is that you know I was nine when the first movie came out, and I was like you, pretty much enamored with. You know, the stormtrooper outfits and the droids and the flying ships (laughs) and the giant Death Star and all the cool technology. And and the Force, I think as Guy said, it was really more of a plot point in the first movie. I mean, yeah, if you closed your eyes and focused, you know, you could get some sort of super clarity and, you know, you could anticipate things like when to pull the trigger to shoot the photon torpedoes to go down the tube to blow up the Death Star. Right. Red 5, checking in. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, and I think, you know, as, as David said, too, you know, the, the sword fighting, it, you know, you pretty much got to realize the sword fighting in the first movie was two geriatric people, you yeah. know, <laughs> swinging pretend clubs at each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't the most exciting. I, but here's the thing. I always thought that that sword fight between Ben and Anakin in the first movie, or Darth Vader, if you will, mm-hmm. um, it was more than the physical actions that you saw of them just swinging the lightsabers. Mm-hmm. That they were using the force, pushing and pulling, that you couldn't see. So there mm-hmm. was a lot more going on in that lightsaber battle than what your physical eyes were telling you. And that's kind of the way I always looked at it. Like It, it was a lot more than what you saw, otherwise it was kind of boring. Right. Well, I th- I think that's been Tim. That's been retconned, you know, somewhat by the Star Wars apologists. That, as you say, you have Ben Kenobi, who's an old man, been living in the desert, hasn't really been able to train against anyone of his own caliber, so he's rusty. Uh, and and for Vader, he, he's he's in a robotic suit. It's, he doesn't have his arms and legs anymore. So there's only so much he can do anyway. So that was that. That's how that 
particular scene has been explained, as I understand it. Yeah, I I, I would yeah, I, I would give it a lot of leeway. Plus, it was made in 1977. Yeah, <laughs> you well, know. But if you if you compare the sword fight between Ben and Darth Vader and the 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 sword fight between Luke and Vader in the third movie, I mean, they were they were especially Vader was certainly a lot more active as far as their their fight goes yeah. in the third movie than he was going up against Ben. And the only thing I could think of that might explain that was what uh, Neil had said that you know yeah at the same time they're swinging these swords around they're still they're they're using the force as well and that since Luke wasn't as adept in the force as Ben Kenobi was he ha- he has to be more physical to overcome that yeah i would agree with that i think that's a good yeah i, well, I like and that. you kind of saw that tact in the second movie when you know he when Luke and Vader first have the the duel where Luke, Vader basically just Throw Chops stuff him. at him. You know? Yeah, yeah. You throw it and then chops his arm off or hand off. Yeah. And, um, we hate to ruin the movie for anybody, but he <laughs> he's Luke's dad. <laughs> I, I don't think we have to warn people about spoilers. Yeah, no, no. It's a little late for a spoiler on that one. So, regardless of what we thought that the Force was, what George Lucas did in the prequel movies by completely dispelling any notion of a religion or this all-encompassing for lack of a better word force around everything he explains it away as midichlorians and that it depends on how many midichlorians are in your bloodstream on how mm. uh, that that's what determines how powerful you are in the force so I guess cannibals would have a hell of a great time in the Star Wars <laughs> universe because they would just gobble up a couple of Jedi and all of a sudden, you know, they've got you know a whole bunch of midi chlorians in them. Yeah, midi chlorian uh, sub sandwich. Yeah, there uh, you the, go. The, the problem, the problem with the whole. I mean, you know, we all. I think we all rolled our eyes when they when he went down that route. But of course, you know, th- I, I think did more than roll my eyes. It pissed yeah, me off. Well, well, yeah. I mean, that there are. There were a lot, of, lot of problems with, particularly with with Phantom Menace and and uh, you know some of the stuff that w- that was in there. But I, I I think the reason he did that was because he was trying to go for this whole virgin birth thing for Anakin. So um, he needed some entity to have made that happen because you know um, Anakin's mother was adamant that that he had no father, that he was uh, an immaculate conception, and he needed some way of of kind of explaining that scientifically and you know he that's why he, I think he came up with the midichlorians and the idea that these 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 entities that are in people to different degrees kind of uh, you know shape the force their force sensitivity and and also you know have some sort of higher purpose you would think though that, if that was the case that the the child of this mating of midichlorians in her uterus would have produced something a little more grand than a whiny brat <laughs> That just complained about everything all the time. Yeah, uh, David brings up the the, the, the scene where uh, Anakin's mother. Remind me again what her name was. Somebody. Um, um, boy, I cannot think of it. Uh, Shmi, sorry, Shmi, Shmi something like yeah, that. Shmi. Shmi, Shmi. Um, anyway, she says this. She says very flatly, Anakin has no father. And when I heard that the first time around. Perhaps, you know, thinking of my own sort of rather strange upbringing, I simply thought she was denying him 
the father was of no importance. Not that he didn't exist, that she had, you know, been, had sex with a man or whatever it happened at some point. She just had nothing to do with him anymore and didn't want to accept him as part of her family. In the same sort of way, which is a traditional myth, there are any number of myths in, like Romulus and Remus, that their mother does not tell anyone who the father is. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's thrown out of their society because of that. Um, there are lots of stories along those lines of a father who's a child who's brought up never knowing who his father is. It's quite a common trope in heroic stories. And that he had to go, which was fine. I, I could handle that. And then they said it was these strange little aliens living in, living in her blood. Yeah, that, that was just, I thought it just sucked. Yeah. I, <laughs> I thought it was one of the, well, number one, I, when I say it, it pissed me off. It's because it took the mystical quality of what a Jedi was, mm-hmm. and it grounded it firmly in science. It's almost like George Lucas in the 70s and the 80s had a grander appreciation of the universe. And he became very cynical when he made these movies. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to explain every single little detail according to science. And then he didn't want to leave anything open to interpretation. And I think that is the the sign of a very weak filmmaker. If you have to explain every single little detail and you can't allow your audience to interpret what they believe and put their own beliefs into that, Mm -hmm. I think that's the sign of a weak filmmaker and that's shooting a movie with a very weak plot line. Well, I think if you look at someone, you know, the, the real movie greats like, you know, the Alfred Hitchcocks or... Ingmar Bergman's, they will create scenes which don't need to be explained. If you watch The Birds, it doesn't say where the birds come from, why they're attacking people, they just are. Yep. It doesn't need to be spelt out. I actually don't think George Lucas is that great a filmmaker. No, I, think I don't Star- think he is either. I think he got lucky. Yes, I, I'm, I was going to say that exactly mm-hmm. the same thing. I think he hit Star Wars at exactly the right time at exactly the right moment, and it yes. just worked. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that he knew it himself, which is why yes. he turned out the franchise over to a different director the second time around with Empire Strikes Back. Right. You know that he knew that it, it was more than he ever intended it to be, much right. more popular. He to keep that gravy train going, and he didn't think he he, he may have thought he that knew he, he didn't have the chops. To, mm-hmm. Yeah, and everyone agrees. I don't think anybody disputes that the Empire Strikes Back is a much better movie mm-hmm. in almost every single regard. But perhaps not as a classical heroic story. I think yeah, it's well, a better yeah. film with better scenes because Irv Kirshner is a very competent director. Well, there was. A, I, I think that the script itself was even better. I mean, it, I like the no fact question. that it ends on a very dark note. It, it leaves a cliffhanger, which Lucas didn't do in any of his other movies. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't do it for Star Wars because originally that was there wasn't supposed to be any more. That well, was he supposed to be a self-enclosed to, film. Yes, well, George Lucas has said that his original concept for Star Wars was three movies. Actually, it was one movie, but it was so long that he had to break it up in three. That's what he says. I think he's full of horseshit. Well, yeah, I, um, I think <laughs> I, I don't think I don't from, think from what I've been reading, he he basically had a two picture deal, and the first picture he did was American Graffiti, mm-hmm. yep. and the second film that he was supposed to do was Star Wars, and he didn't have 
any other agreement with uh, who made that Fox? Twentieth Century Fox, yeah, yeah, Twentieth yeah. Century Fox. He didn't have a deal past those two films. And after you know, American Graffiti obviously did very well, so they were willing to to put a little more money into it when they were making Star Wars. But I, I don't think that that Twentieth Century Fox or George Lucas or or anybody originally thought that there was going to be any other Star Wars movies that it you know it exploded into this big phenomenon and that he uh, just figured okay well let's ride with it and just keep going I think that there's something to that but I also think that George Lucas is trying to rewrite history yes, by saying that you know oh it was always conceived as three movies blah 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 I don't I don't buy that for a second um, the way the movie is laid out, rescuing the princess. He, she is obviously, at the end of that movie, going to be with Luke. Mm-hmm. She's not going to be with Han. Han's got some kind of a strange uh, relationship with Chewie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't go into that without... No. Uh, Animal husbandry warning there. <laughs> put, yeah, putting, putting the explicit tag. Yeah. But he's supposed to win the princess. He's going mm-hmm. to rescue her. She gives him the big smooch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which turns out to be very weird. Disturbing when yeah. you go back and you go, Ew. <laughs> Ew, Really? Your sister? Yeah. Really? Um, there's no alluding to the fact that it's Luke's sister by Ben, who would have known that, oh, well, this is Luke's sister. Of course he would Because he was known. one that split him up to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think George Lucas basically had to do a big rewrite in his own mind. And... He tries to convince everyone that, oh, that this is the way it was always supposed to be. Well, and I, I just know don't what, buy it. The, na- the nature of that is probably that he's told the... I mean, he's probably told that story so many times over the years, and now he, even he, he remembers it. it. Yeah. Even he remembers as that being the way it happened. But, uh, you know, it, it it's always appeared to me that, um, you know, Star Wars... Star Wars the movie, as the script was developed, you know, it developed into something that was bigger, but, you know, originally it was self-contained. And even some of the things he he is on record as saying about, about you know, the development of some of the characters, the developments of some of the technologies. That, I mean, lightsabers were just a kind of, you know, a way of differentiating the good guys from the bad guys in in the first drafts of the script. And it was only later on that they became, you know, associated with the more mystical supernatural elements. Mm. Um, you know, and, and when when you hear when you hear that sort of thing, then you kind of think, well, there's no way he had this this big epic kind of religious cycle in his mind right back at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And and certainly, if he did, it was a trilogy. It wasn't a you know a, a, tr- a three trilogies, which is what he now says it always mm-hmm. has been intended to be. He was he, so, he's saying that it was supposed to be three trilogies now. Three trilogies. No, that, that, yeah, that, that's what that, this that, is long a, long before they started making yeah. the, mm-hmm. the the prequels. Uh, back in the eighties, he was talking about okay, well, this is episode four, films, six, yeah. and and coming up soon will be, <clears throat> excuse me, seven through nine, which will continue the story, you know, after the empire has been defeated, and then there was going to be the prequels, which told the story of what happened, you know, before Luke and Leia and all them were born. It's almost too late to do anything after Return of the Jedi at this point, don't you think? Well, unless you establish whole new characters. Well, no, not even. I don't think so. I mean, I think that would depend on how far ahead you want to take the story. I mean, if they come out and say, "Okay, well, this is now what's going on with these characters twenty five years later," you know, it, I, I think that would work. But uh, you know, I guess the question would be: Would 
you know, how many of them would be willing to, to do them. the kind of grueling? Well, would Harrison Ford really be interested Absolutely. in it? Absolutely. If he'll do an Indy 4. That's true. He could do uh, yeah. an Indy 4. Uh, well, all right. Yeah. He, he okay. will do a Star which Wars was, in a heartbeat. Which was truly a horrible movie. Yeah, absolutely. You didn't even need Indiana Jones in it. He didn't save the day at the end. It was horrible. No. Um, the, the, the question is, would I don't think Mark Hamill would do it. Oh, are you kidding? What's oh, he doing? He's, he's doing the job. No, he's, he's, he's doing... He's, he's, I think he's moved on. I think he's... I don't think so at no, all. He's moved into completely different areas, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he would be keen... To, I don't think he would be keen to... I, I think Mark Hamill would jump at the chance to be the Jedi Master again. I think uh, the only one that, that might be hesitant would be Carrie Fisher. Absolutely. She is the mm-hmm. one that would be the most hesitant. Because um, she's probably aged the most of all of them. Well, she has. Um, she wouldn't look quite as good in the slave girl outfit, obviously. <laughs> please, please, God, no. But she is an author now. I mean, mm-hmm. she's she's not into very many. In fact, the, the movies that I see her in is kind of cameo roles. They're really cameo roles. Yeah. And uh, she was in Fanboys. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's these... Huge Star Wars fans who, um, it's right before the the newest Phantom Menace is going to come mm-hmm. out, and one of their friends has cancer, so they have decided that they're going to invade Lucas's ranch yeah. and watch the movie, and it's a it's a huge it's just a comedy, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of Star Wars alumni in there, and also Captain Kirk. But that's a different plot point. Um, <laughs> but she is in there. She plays a doctor, and I thought, oh, okay, she she did this mm-hmm. movie, so obviously she can kind of poke fun at you know what she's best known for. And let's be honest, other than Harrison Ford and possibly Alec Guinness, which character, which actor in there will ever be known for something greater than that? None of them, I would say. I mean, who? Well, I think David and I would probably both tell you that Alec Guinness, at least in the UK, is incredibly famous and was long before Star Wars. No, and I said that, right. and I put that in there. I said, except for Alec Harrison Guinness. Ford and yeah, Alec Guinness. And James Earl Jones as well. Well, but he really wasn't in, it was his voice. It was, yeah. Yeah. And he would do yeah. that in a heartbeat. If they said, we want you to do a Vader voice again for a movie, pff, he'd be all over it. I think what's always amusing, and I'm sure David will, uh, well, this will be familiar to David, is that a lot of the a lot of the characters that play imperial officers and whatnot in English, are, are, <laughs> yeah. but, they're, but they're British character actors. Yeah, and you'll yeah. see them all the time in TV dramas and whatnot. That's right. Yeah, and Peter Cushing. Yep. Well, not Peter. Cush- I wasn't thinking of Cushing in particular, but the sort of second lot- rank, mm-hmm. the generic yeah. naval officers. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. did notice that because it seemed like all the imperials all had British accents, which is why we hated you guys for so long. No, not quite. Well, that's just that's an American thing, isn't it? You want a bad guy? He's always the only people that get English accents in American films tend to be either the bad guys or the real or intelligent God. people. Yeah, or God is English. I thought God was English. Or, or, the, well, or, the, or the scientists. We, we give you guys no, those Germans, roles as well. Usually, aren't they? Um, yeah, they actually. That's uh, true. That's depends true. on the accent that's <laughs> acquired. Yeah. Uh, the average average American can't tell the difference between unless a German they're really and crazy and then they're Russian. So. <laughs> yeah, then they're Russian. <laughs> so let's get back to Star Wars, though. Um, the other thing that obviously jumped out at me with the Star Wars movies were the spaceships. Was the technology that you saw, and I think a lot of that, at least for me, was the sounds that went with this technology. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are, if you grew up with Star Wars. 
if you hear the sound of the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. you know what that is, Chad. Oh yeah. I mean, or a Tie some, Fighter, or the ignition of yeah, a lightsaber. The, yeah, the scream, yeah. the scream of the Tie Fighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, th- there's just no getting around it that the sound and the picture and the Star They're Wars iconic. movies. Mm-hmm. Well, not only are they iconic, but they change things. Um, I don't think that I paid much attention to sound as much until the Star Wars movies came out. Of course, I was seven, but still. Mm-hmm. When well, the, here's here's one more. Yeah. Vader's, Vader's breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the asthmatic I, bad I th- guy. I think in general, I mean, if, you look at, <laughs> if you look at the the, the true successes of what, you know, I mean, we were just kind of trashing Lucas uh, mm-hmm. a few minutes ago for some of, you know, some of his revisionist ideas and, and you know, let's face it, some of his pretty weak storytelling. Yeah. Um, but if you look at what he actually achieved with with uh, particularly the, the the first set of films, um, he first of all he took space opera, which you know, I mean, let's face it, nineteen seventy seven when Star Wars came out, the only time you saw that sort of science fiction was like cheesy Roger Corman movies. I mean, right. you know, that was that was it was all stuff that was pretty you know low budget. Um, it was pretty bad really, and he he t- took science fiction and made it cool again. Absolutely. Um, well, one of the things. That, that that was an achievement, but I think the other thing, going back to what we were just talking about, the production design, even for the, I mean, the first movie was relatively low budget. The production design, the team he brought together, mm-hmm. has actually completely transformed the movie industry for the thirty years. Yeah. And and that is an achievement. And all of this stuff, you know, has become so iconic purely because the quality of the work that was done on on the, on those movies, and it makes. The um, you know the the whole idea. I mean, the, the whole setup at the beginning, a, a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far and away. When you first read that, you think, "Oh, what's what's this going to be about?" You know, this that, that could be an excuse for anything. And instead, what what they created was this this world where, or this un- this galaxy where, you know, everything was kind of beat up, and knackered. Yep. Um, and yet it still worked. It was ultra reliable, even though it was well, except for the Millennium Falcon. Well, you <laughs> yeah. know. It was. It was. Uh, it had, you remember the Millennium Falcon? It always had it where it counts. Yeah, yeah, and you know the thing was when you first see that ship, it's beat up, it's dirty, it's got blaster stains mm-hmm. on it. Um, it. It doesn't look like anything you'd want to fly in. But I think looking back at the films, if you could fly in any one of those ships in real life, who wouldn't pick the Millennium Falcon? I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's it, that is probably the most iconic ship through the entire series. Um, although I also like the, the star destroyers, and I know yeah. they're just big triangles, but there was just mm-hmm. something when you see that Carillion Corvette at the very beginning of the first Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. trying to get the hell out of Dodge, and that right. huge Imperial star destroyer mm-hmm. bearing down on it. I mean, I, I, that gave me chills. Right. And the funny thing is, and I, and I don't know if you guys realize this, the one constant between all the movies is the droids, R2-D2 and C-3PO. Mm-hmm. Yes. Another bit of technology, we saw robots in other movies, and even TV shows. Mm-hmm. But, but they didn't have a personality. Not but not the way they did in this. I mean, and personally, I think R2-D2 had the best personality. Well, and that goes and back he to never, design, yeah. Right, and he never uttered a word. Yeah. You know, it was our interpretation by C-3PO of what he was actually saying. Yeah, Ken, Kenny Baker really deserves an Oscar for that performance. Uh, it, well, let, can I just... St- let me just uh, stand up for C-3PO for a minute, who was always my favourite. 
what I always liked about C-3PO, we've already we've been talking about how these characters have the Force and how it turned out they're princesses and all the rest of it. For me, C-3PO is the one ordinary person yes. in the entire film. I totally yeah, agree. Point, Neil. And yep. so everything hangs around his perception of what's going on. Yep. And between he and R2-D2, although R2-D2 does seem to save the day, C-3PO doesn't really save the day ever. He's hopeless. <laughs> no, he just gets in the way all the time. Him. Yeah, the one time yeah. he finds it, he finds critical information, he gets blown apart. You know, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> then he has to ride on the hairy guy's back for a while, yeah. which would be Thank what you. any wow. of us would be like in a situation <laughs> like that. We'd always be in the wrong place, saying the wrong thing, getting the guns pointed in the wrong directions. Does it? Does and it, I think that's what makes him lovely. Yes, and and you know the thing with C three PO is he would always point out the absurd mm-hmm. that the audience is thinking. Well, I'm going to fly into this asteroid field. But, sir, (laughs) you know, that's what we needed as an audience. And he was comedy relief in a way that Jar Jar Binks could never be. Oh, Oh, God. God. (laughs) You know, well, that's what he... Let's save save that discussion for another Yeah, probably a good idea. So, we have the robots, and we have the spaceships, we have lightsabers, and we have the Force. Why did this movie work, Chad? Let's start with you. Why do you think Star Wars worked? I think part of it is is just like Neil had said earlier, and we we both discussed. George Lucas got lucky. He he hit on a niche at the right time, you know. And I think if you ever saw the whole Star Wars little uh, bio that they put out there, yeah. one of the one of the things they said is that this movie came out right after Vietnam, more or less. Yeah, you know, people were very tired of realism. <laughs> yeah, and that was the big in in theaters in the seventies. Yeah. Realism was the king. You had yeah. the Godfather. You had the French Connection. Mm-hmm. Had, I mean, those were the big all movies. the presidents' men. Yeah, exactly. And and Vietnam mm-hmm. just ended. Watergate just ended. I mean, there was a lot of, and the Cold War was in full swing. And here's this movie that's you know all about hope. Yeah. It's all about conquering evil mm-hmm. and those damn people with the British accents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's just to save Neil and we all David. Know they're evil. We, that's just to save David and, and uh, Neil's yeah. paying attention. <laughs> uh, why do you think Neil? Why do you think Star Wars worked? Well, I think one of the clever things about about George Lucas is, is, is his ability to to tap into things in our subconscious that we that we've already always known. You talked about the Millennium Falcon, for example, and how it looks so bizarre. It actually doesn't. Um, the scenes where you look at the characters in the cockpit was deliberately modelled on views of like B-52s or Flying Fortresses or mm-hmm. something from the Second World War. Um, things like the Star Destroyers are consciously meant to look like battleships, grey battleships. So when you watch these things, you immediately click into movies you've seen before. So he doesn't need to make exposition. The viewers are quickly dropped into knowing, well, these are good guys, these are bad guys, and all the rest of it. I think that's what makes what made Lucas very, very clever. What do you think, Guy? Uh, I, w- I would agree with, with pretty much everything you guys have said. I, I think that, that people were, were really, really tired of the, the like Dog Day Afternoon and all these movies where it's death and destruction and you know, a graphic death and destruction. Obviously there was there was quite a lot of killing since they blow up a, a friggin' planet. But it was it was more like cartoon violence, if you know what I'm talking about. It it, it didn't really seem real. It was it was just a plot point to, to move the story along, and Lucas Lucas 
created a movie that allowed you to kind of to kind of go back, and this is before the Indiana Jones movies were had been created. Allowed you to go back and think about movies that had been made when the assumed audience were kids. This, this the types of you know the serials that you'd see before the main feature. You know, go you know, come back to this theater next week to see the next episode of you know the the Flying Dragon or you know whatever it was. And I think it was a conscious effort on Lucas's part to 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 instill that kind of nostalgia for something a little different. Do you think David, him calling it right at the beginning, right at the first crawl, episode four, A New Hope? Do you think that that played into the success of the movie? I I think I think it did. I mean, you know, that was. Again, that was a very clever way of of really getting people into, you know, setting the scene without having to have a whole pile of exposition. And again, it harked back to those, you know, the serials from the, uh, you know, you see in the movie theater in the in the thirties forties. I used to watch them on the on TV. Flash Gordon, so, and, Flash yeah. Gordon, Buck Rogers. You know, I and and I think actually that's that's what he was trying to do when he said episode four. He was trying to imply, you know, that, well, you've just come into this and we're just happening to show it to you here, but it's part of a wider story. <laughs> I don't think he had the wider story mm-hmm. quite, you know, quite down at that time. But I think it was it was a device he was using to try and imply that this was uh, part, just part of a larger epic. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I think that... Uh do you think that the movie was geared towards kids more than adults then? I think it's, absolutely. It's funny, funny you say that, actually, because mm-hmm. I remember when it came out, um, every time we went to the movie theater with my father, we went to see Star Wars. We saw it four or five times. Now, we weren't making that decision. We wanted to see the other films. You know, back in, the, back in Britain, back in the, in the late 70s, you know, we, had to, we lived in a town that was a movie theater with two screens, uh, and Star Wars was playing on one screen for literally months uh, and then there was other movies cycling through the other screen so we would go down there expecting to see the other movie and m- when we got there my dad would buy us tickets for star wars again and that was him buying it not 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 us you know as far as we concerned we'd seen it we, we wanted to see something else so i think it w- one of the one of the beauties of it it did have a wider appeal than just for kids what do you think guy because you were an adult when you saw it yeah i was I, well i saw it later after the second movie came out for various reasons um I don't. I don't think that the movie was geared toward kids. Like I said, I, I think that that Lucas was trying to install a, a certain nostalgia for the types of movies that were made before the grim and, and gritty '70s movies that were you know popular at the time. And I, I think in that regard, it was it was an astounding success. I mean, it was it was certainly good enough to spin off the the next two as well as give him a green light for. The types of movies that that were really kind of that genre, the Indiana Jones movies. What do you think, Neil? Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think the idea that uh, there is such a thing as a kids movie that can't be an adult movie at the same time, it, it, I, I don't think that works anymore. You have to look at things like Toy Story or Shrek or something. Yeah, I was just going to s- you- point out Shrek that it's, uh, I think, one of the best movies when it came to it's for the original kids. one. Yes, it's mm-hmm. for kids and it's for adults. Wink, wink. But, I th- but again, it's coming back to this point that that, some t- that Lucas got lucky with Star Wars. I think The Empire Strikes Back is an adult film, as much as it's a kid's film. 
the Return of the Jedi, not so much. I think he, with the Ewoks and everything, he tried too hard. Yeah. And yeah. then the he prequels are just downhill all the way. Yeah. I think, Chad, that Lucas, after the success, more so after the success of the second movie, George Lucas started gearing it towards kids with the Empire or with the uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I'd have to agree, but I also, you know, one of the things I have to tip my hat to Lucas for is he was one of the first people to really understand the power of merchandising. Yeah. And take advantage of it. Because he kept all the power of merchandising even at the first movie. Yeah. That was one of the things he insisted on. And of course the movie theater thought or the the 20th Century Fox thought, well, what do we care? You know, the 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 money is in the box office. It's not in yeah. It's the not toys. in merchandising. It's not in getting you know glasses from McDonald's. So, but if you look <laughs> well, at the no, figures, yeah, but also the books, yeah. all the books that came out yeah. afterwards. Yeah, there wasn't a, there Fox. wasn't as many books back then. What made more money than the movie was the toys. Yeah. If you look at the sales of Star Wars toys from 1977 through 1985 when it started trailing off. It, the toys made much more money than movies did, mm-hmm. and and Lucas was very clever in that. You know, all, I remember because I, I couldn't understand it when when this happened. When the when the first the first dolls came out, you know, the first action figures uh, came out. They were all, even though you know most of these characters had been seen like in the backgrounds of the first movie, they all had names. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't just you know. Uh, I mean, back then. You, you would get characters in movies and stuff like that in turning into toys, but they wouldn't all be named. They wouldn't have backstories. I mean, every single one had a backstory and, and a name. Um, and and that, that carried through all three movies. Something I've read, read on the internet recently, actually, is neither the Ewoks nor Boba Fett were named in, in, in any of the movies of That's the right. trilogy. Mm-hmm. And despite that, everyone knows what an Ewok is. Yep. And that's purely because of the marketing. The toys. Yeah. Toys, yeah, and well, Boba uh, Fett's even they a never better. Said, they never said Boba Fett's name. Yeah, they, they said Boba Fett. Actually, they, they did. They, in the, Boba Fett's, they did. Yeah, they, they did. They did the Return of the yes. Jedi. They did in the There's Jedi. The scene Boba Fett, Boba Fett, where and he turns around and knocks him off Boba into Fett. the Sarlacc. Boba Fett, where and he hits him with yeah. the cane and he goes flying in the Sarlacc. But yeah, exactly. But he but didn't in the say second it. Movie, no. no, in fact, uh, the the Boba Fett Star Wars figure came out a year before the Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. and when we all went to see that movie, we already knew that Boba Fett, Fett was yeah. a bounty hunter, and that's his name. Well, he and the was figure in was the really holiday cool. special. Well, let's not mention a- that. <laughs> but <that's> where- <laughs> well, but to be fair, that's where Boba, Boba Fett makes his appearance, yes. in the cartoon segment. Yep, and that was horrible. The um, cartoon's not too bad. Yes, it is. It's hor- They have Christmas a long, long time ago. Far, far away. That was horrible. Um, okay. <laughs> I thought it was endearing. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> I'd have to disagree. <laughs> it, it was just wretched. It's and it, better than The Phantom Menace. Uh, it, you know, I hated The Phantom Menace when I first saw it. I remember watching the trailer in 1998 when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And... That was right around the time, Chad, that you and I were becoming friends. Yeah. And I remember watching that that trailer, and, it, and the Phantom Menace looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can't... You can even go back and watch that trailer now, and you think, wow, that looks like a good movie. Except you know exactly what happened mm-hmm. in that movie, and it's horrible. Um, you know, prepare for planetary invasion and all mm-hmm. that, and you're like, 
whoa, this is going to be yeah. cool. And let's be honest, the Phantom Menace starts off badass. The, oh, yeah. The Jedi are going to the space station Getting thing. on the Federation trade ship. And... Knocking through the droids. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're badass. They're moving like lightning. They're well, they cutting everything down. Ship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's great. And it's great up until the point where Jar Jar Binks makes an appearance. And then everything just goes to hell in a handbasket. But up until that point, that was a cool movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, going back to the technology, this new movie takes place before the movies that we saw. How the hell did R2-D2... Is it just because he became a geriatric robot in the future? He was like little ninja robot in the first... What? Uh, Attack of the Clones and, and whatever the last one was. He has I mean, rockets. He can yeah, fly. he's got rockets and mm-hmm. he can do all kinds of stuff. And he can't even barely walk over sand in the Star Wars in the first movie. I mean, what the hell happened between the last movie and the first movie? Really? He, well, I mean, this isn't this isn't the first time that 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 Lucas had had changed things around. I mean, you, I don't know if you guys know this, but in in the very first movie, uh, in the original Star Wars movie, and I didn't know this until my wife pointed it out. Uh, Jabba the Hutt. They had a scene with Jabba the Hutt, who was a human. Yeah. Well, they 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 put that right. back in. But yeah, it, that's how it was originally filmed. They never used it in the movie. Mm-hmm. No, they did. No, they, they it, didn't. When it was no, first released in seventy seven, no, it wasn't no, there. That there. was in there. No, it wasn't no, it there. Was, it was in the it book. It was in the book. It was in the movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it was never actually used in the movie, guy. Well, my and wife said she I, saw it. She might have seen a special ed- or something. Yeah. an outtake. Yeah, yeah. She saw some outtakes because they they never used that. Um, now they did actually show it in one of the movies where how they took the original they, footage and then split it back in there for the, right. the deluxe editions. Right. That's right. For the special edition, yeah. they put it back in and they use CG to make Jabba, um, you know, even even to the point where Han walks past him and they actually made it look like Han had stepped over his tail. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which I thought in the, in the original mm-hmm. scene he'd not done that, but the, you know that's that's part of we, we talked about Lucas's revisionism and and that is all part of his. You know, revisionist ideas is he. He thinks, you know, he thinks there's nothing wrong with going back and changing a movie. Fundamentally, I mean, there's a whole. <laughs> well, let's talk whole, about that for a minute. I mean, no. in, in the original movie, Han Solo shoots Guido first. No As, question. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When he reissued the movies, Han doesn't shoot first. Does it bother you? We'll start with you, Neil. That George Lucas can go back and make these sweeping changes. And we're just supposed to what? Accept it, or does it does, does it, it bother you? D- does it bother? Uh, well, you're asking two questions there. D- does he have a right to do it? Of course, it do- of course he does. It's his artwork. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, does he have? But is it annoying when our memories of something which made sense when we saw it first time around gets messed about with? Well, that's obviously unpleasant. We don't like that, be- and, and it cheapens the scene. It makes Greedo look like some kind of klutz. Yeah, that he misses at point blank range. It doesn't make any sense at all. Well, yeah, the problem is it takes all the menace out of Guido as a character at his point of death, and and also obviously Han Solo. Um, You know, and and yeah, I, I, 
I have. I would defend his right to make those sorts of choices and to make those sorts of changes, but I don't agree with most of the times when he does that. I don't agree with the choices that he makes. Another prime think- example of that is when Steven Spielberg went and took all the guns out of the FBI agents' hands in E.T. and made them hold uh, walkie-talkies. walkie-talkies. Yeah, I thought that was pointless. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it well, is. But Spielberg is a different he, kind of filmmaker. Yes, but he did it for political reasons. He didn't want to, you know, oh, I don't want them to have guns. Mm-hmm. Guns are bad. Well, yeah, they are. They're guns. But that was part of the movie. What, mm-hmm. To change that, in the same way that, that George Lucas made these sweeping changes. Now, I don't mind. In, in in the first Star Wars movie, when he redid it and reissued it in, what, 97? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't mind the fact that he added more stormtroopers riding those things in the background in some of the sand dune scenes. Right, and added some new scenes, special right. effects and CGI. When yeah. they're driving through Tet, uh, yeah. uh, what uh, is the, the space Most Isley. Most yeah. Isley. Yeah. And it, it seems much busier. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things going on where originally it looked pretty barren. You think yeah. it's it's a ghost town. Um, I don't mind that, but when you change something that literally changes a scene and the meaning of the scene, and the Guido again comes mm-hmm. to mind. Guido. Guido? Guido. Guido. Um, Han Solo shoots him first because he knows Guido is going to shoot him. Right. No question that Guido is going to do that. Mm-hmm. So Han kills him. The way Lucas changed it is Han is such a good guy that he won't shoot this guy until this guy is going to shoot him. That's not true to the Han Solo character that we all grew up with. Mm-hmm. And it fundamentally changes who he is. Han will do whatever he has to do to survive. Which is what makes it so much more poignant at the end of the movie when he comes back. Right, to save yeah. Luke. Because that's Absolutely. not in character of him. Mm-hmm. It was, but it wasn't. You know, this is the yeah, guy think- that shot Guido first. Mm-hmm. And and the, the problem the problem with his thinking behind this is that, you know, he, he said he said obviously he wanted to try and soften the scene, make it more, you know, make make his hero character more sympathetic. But literally three minutes before, in the same um in the same set, yeah, Ben Kenobi has chopped some guy's hand off. Who's just, you know, pushing uh, pushing Luke around. Well he did draw and- draw a gun. Well, okay, yeah, nevertheless, though, we know that, that um, Kenobi is a Jedi Knight, and he's just used the mind trick outside you, and telling me that yeah. he couldn't have found a non-violent way of dealing with that situation. Well, I, you know... Other than maiming somebody. He, so what, what, what I'm saying is, is, you know, he's he's made hard choices earlier in the same scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden, he feels he needs to soften this bit for this particular character. Is it He doesn't need to soften it for Ben Kenobi because he's going to die anyway. I mean, you know, it doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with you. Let's uh, let's move on to the last subject we're going to talk to talk about on Star Wars for this podcast. And that's focusing on the Jedi Knights. In, well, they- in the... In the <laughs> Newer movies, it's so hard to refer to them this way. The newer movies, the older mm-hmm. movies. Um, the prequels. The, the prequels, when you see the, the Jedi Knights at the height of their power. Mm-hmm. Is it just me or the, are the Jedi Knights a bunch of assholes? They, they have unlimited power. They don't answer to any government organization. They do what they want, when they want. They're running around, chopping people's hands off. Um, we all know that they can be wrong. They're super cops with no accountability. Does that bother anybody? Because it, it well, really I think bothered they had me. Accountability. I mean, they were they were loyal they to the Republic. Yeah. 
But the, I mean, it's, it, they're you not never cops. See, you never see you never see a Jedi as a member of the Senate. You never hear about a Jedi who's going to be uh, leader of the Senate or 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 hold any high any high office other than being part of the Jedi Council. Well, Council. there also seems to be some sort of a intimation in those movies that the Jedi really try to avoid being involved in the political aspects of the Republic. But they also say that, you know, they're, they're, they police. They go out through the galaxy righting right wrongs. And yet, we know they, they who are they accountable to, is my question. Because from what I saw in the movies, they're not accountable to anybody. Well, they're no. accountable to their own council. Well, yeah. that's fine and dandy unless you happen to be on, on the wrong side of the stick. If you have agreements with the Jedi, well, guess what? They're super cops. They can't be wrong. They just chop your hand off and move on. But, well, yeah, but the- I saw the Jedi as being more like a, a, a diplom you know, a diplomatic force as often as they could be. But when it came down to all right, well, you know, this guy over here, he's a badass, and we have to just take care of this. That's what they would do. Yeah, but of course, they were, they the were biggest- kind of like the UN, weren't they? Yes, but the biggest problems always originated with the Jedi as well. Yeah. Where's the bad guys come from? The Jedi. But that's part. That's part. Oh, but that's of, part of the story, though. Part of the story is the, is, is the fact that you know the the Republic in itself was overly corrupt and led to led to its like the, sowed the seeds of its own destruction through its corrupt politics, and the Jedi sowed the seeds of their own of their own destruction by their by their uh, their obsession with prophecy, their obsession with finding the chosen one, who actually mm. led to their downfall, uh, and also by the fact that they were so. Um, obsessed with that, that they weren't even able to see it coming, even though they had these all these powers. Here's the thing that bothered me. In the first three movies, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, love is portrayed as, and friendship is portrayed as, the ultimate power in the universe, right? Mm-hmm. That he has such strong emotions and that, you know, love will conquer all, basically. Right? So you get to the the new movies, the prequels, and here's a kid who is prophesied to be the savior, and he falls in love with someone, and he has to completely keep it a secret, because why? Because the Order doesn't believe in love? I, I always had a problem with that. I don't blame Anakin for turning, because at every single point... When the brother just needed a hug, <laughs> what did the Jedi do? Yeah, Tim. They kept I think- him down. They 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 wouldn't let him do this. They wouldn't let him do that. They're like, you know, well, we don't really trust him. Mm-hmm. And well, he, of course he's going to run to somebody else. Of course he's going to harbor all these ill feelings. And the Jedi didn't do anything to alleviate those feelings. But I don't think that comes out of nowhere, Tim. I think if you go back to The Empire Strikes Back, you have... Ben Kenobi warning Luke that if he goes back to help his friends, then he'll fail and he'll let everybody down. Um, and Yoda says something very similar in Return of the Jedi that if you try to save your father, then the Emperor's already won. So I think. Well, and, you're I, actually, and I think. Is it, it, I, have I got them the right way around there? Yeah, and, you do. And I was going to. I was just going to throw on there, Neil. There's also the point in uh, Return of the Jedi where he goes back to um, goes back to Dagobah. Yoda's passed away. Well, ben Kenobi comes back and says, you know, and he, he understands that Leia's his sister. And then Ben Kenobi says, you know, your feelings for your sister are good. He said, but you need to suppress them or they'll be turned against you. 
Right. Precisely. So at, at every exactly. turn, it's like the Especially Jedi. Right. The yeah. Jedi aren't allowed to <laughs> love. Is that what they're basically I saying? They're not allowed to. I think that they are. The Jedi come across to me as being deeply suspicious about of human relationships across the board. Um, this idea that you have to be a celibate monk-like character that you mm-hmm. can't be married, you can't have friends, which goes against human pretty, nature. And it goes against just humans working properly. It's yes, just dumb. Exactly. And so it's here's, the whole floor of monasticism. Right. So here's this guy who. Well, it's also the way the order works. I mean, you got to consider. You know, one of the th- one of the big things they had against Anakin to begin with was, was his age. I mean, and some of the. Some of the later prequel movies, they have the little kids that are there, the younglings right. or whatever they call them. You know, those kids they picked up when they were probably two or three years old, you know? Yeah. And swept them away and took them off to be trained. Yeah, and, and uh, vasectomies and all that, so they have no interest at all <laughs> in the finer... We have no idea about in that. In the finer but. side of the species. <laughs> yeah, but I that that was one of my problems. Of course he's going to eventually turn out bad. The Jedi Council treats him like crap every single step of the way, at least as established in the movies. I mean, they 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 say he's going to do all this stuff and he's so great, but yet they don't trust him. They hold him back. Um, they basically tell him, "We want you to be a spy for us, but we're not mm-hmm. going to give, and we're going to put you on the council, but we're not really going to give you any of the the power that comes with that office." I mean, they they just treat him like crap. At every single turn, and then they're like, "You were supposed to be the chosen one. Why are you such an asshole?" Mm-hmm. Well, maybe because all you guys were assholes to me the whole time. You ever think uh, to of be, that? To, to be fair to the council, they never—I mean, it was only out of respect to Qui Gon that they actually took him on in the first place. Mm-hmm. They—they they said right at the beginning, Yoda said right at the beginning that, that it was going to be a bad idea, uh, and he was absolutely right. Hmm. So and, you, you know, so it's all—it's all, all Qui Gon's fault. It is. Does it bother anybody that it's between the two secret, uh, um, trilogies? It's basically what eighteen years, because mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker is eighteen years old. Yeah, when Ben Kenobi re-enters the picture, and yet somehow he is aged about fifty years. <laughs> Does that well, bother? It's a hard anybody? life out there in the desert. I tell you. Yeah, the the, uh, the 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 timing didn't work, but no. then you know. I, we've already discussed the whole thing was revised. Yeah. Big <laughs> anyway. Time. Yeah. Anybody else want to bring up anything about uh, these aspects of Star Wars before we wrap? I, the only thing I would say is that you know, for me, Phantom Menace was a was a deeply, deeply flawed movie. But yes. to that that the 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 uh, sword fight scene between the two Jedi's and uh, Darth Maul. I thought was one. It was one of the most exciting things I'd seen in an awfully long time. It was. It was absolutely fantastic. Although, does it bother you that in that movie, when Darth Maul has the high ground, he gets his ass cut in half? But yet, somehow, when Anakin has the low ground, and now uh, he has the high ground, you're being picky, Tim. Oh, come on! That's more than picky. That's like, don't try Anakin. I have the high ground, dude. Shut up! You just you cut off, cut this guy in half and killed your master. Anakin is, is supposedly the most powerful Jedi right. that existed. Decides that at that point, no use of any sort of force ability apart from trying to jump over the guy is worth a go. Right. I, I'm not going to lift this rock out of the floating oh, lava yeah, with yeah. the force. I'm not going to shove Ben Kenobi out of the way. I'm just going to do a flip in the midair and get cut in half. <laughs> Retarded. 
And yet Darth Maul, let's be honest, Darth Maul was an awesome character, but they completely never underutilized him. Oh, yeah, totally underutilized. I, I do have something else about Star Wars. Okay. Um, if you guys saw the movie, the fan, uh, the uh, the Clone Wars in theaters, it was wretched. It was it was a horrible, horrible movie. Yeah, they my animated. cousin saw it with his kids, and he told me, "Don't bother to go don't, see it." Don't don't bother. It's horrible. However, and this boggles my mind, the cartoon series. Well, it's, it's animated in the same way that mm-hmm. that movie was. That was on right. Cartoon Networks. The Clone Wars mm-hmm. the series. It was twenty two episodes. It's fantastic. It is well, for the, most the best. Part. Oh, let's be, dude. That's the best Star Wars that they've produced since The Empire Strikes Back. Wow, it, it's it's fantastic. It captures the spirit. Uh, the characters are much more believable than in any of the the prequel movies. The action is great. The music is there. I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I didn't think I was going to because I hated that the Clone Wars movie so much. That Here's I thought this is going to be. I don't. It's different ones. It's twenty-two different episodes. That's probably part of the answer. That, George Lucas isn't directing it, and then I think that has a lot to do with it. George Lucas doesn't have a direct hand in the creation of these shows, and the people that are making these shows, it's so obvious. They love the mythos around Star Wars. They love the technology. Um, they have these huge space battles all the time. Uh, they get so many things right. That George Lucas himself, who created this entire universe, always gets wrong. The acting is better in these than I've seen in in well since the Empire Strikes Back. Well, you know who I, I just I just looked it up. Um, I think his name is Jendi Tar Tartakovsky, the same guy that did like uh, Invader Zim. Yeah, he did Invader Zim. Well, he did whoever's uh, doing it. Yeah, Gennady Tartakovsky. Yeah, and, and whoever is writing it. Got it 100% right. These shows are fantastic. I can't believe that they've also produced this horrible movie with a, a Jabba the Hutt female character who talks like a Cajun woman. Cajun. <laughs> it, oh, it's just horrible. It's just bad on so many levels. And yet, this series, 22 episodes, and they're about 22 minutes each without commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, don't don't ask how I know that. Um are so much better. They're just fantastic. I love them. Mm-hmm. I just finished the entire series, and I'm like, they've got to come back with another series. And of course, we all know, I hope we all know anyways, that George Lucas is producing a live action for primetime TV series on Star Trek or Star Wars that happens between um, the end of the last movie and A New Hope. Hmm. So during the Empire years. Hmm. Mm. So... Is anybody kind of looking forward to that, or because George Lucas has more of a direct hand, are you like, ugh? Well, I guess I'll have to wait uh, and see. Yeah, wait and see. Yeah. I think if he if he tries to do what he's done before, um, which you know tries to throw all the the normal Lucas elements, you know, the cutesy kids or the or the cutesy uh, characters, you know, the little bit of comic relief. Uh, a, you know stories which which basically revolve around a hero you know you know an unlikely hero blowing up the ship of the week every week um then it's going to be pretty bad do you think that star uh, wars has do you think star wars isn't as good as we think it is chad do you think we have more of a we, we love star wars so much that we'll overlook so many of the flaws especially in the the orig, the, the new trilogy no, because I think if you even go back to the original Star Wars, it's still just a fun story, yeah. you know. And that, that's part of what I think makes 
makes it so endearing is that it, it did kind of bring the fun to movies. You know, I, I remember going to see it the first time, and I, you know, of course, I was totally enamored with it, and I saw it five times as a kid. You know, yeah. what do you think, uh, Neil? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think Star Wars: the, the, A New Hope is an exceptional movie. I think The Empire Strikes Back is an exceptional movie. The others, I think, are milking uh, just milking the franchise. I think if they vanished, I wouldn't miss them. David, what, as you know, the, uh, I, at least Chad and I are tomorrow. We're going to go see the new Star Trek. Uh, I assume that you guys are going to go see it because if you want to be on the next podcast for Geeky Show ever, <laughs> you kind of have to see I, it. I've always been a much, much bigger Star Trek fan than I ever was of Star Wars. My um, flip flop like, myself. Like Star Wars, uh, like Star Wars a lot, but I was re I was really, really into Star Trek. So let me ask so, you this: Star Trek is basically, technically, it's not a reboot because they're they're keeping the mythos there, and we all know that Leonard Nimoy has an appearance in this movie. But the entire series, the whole franchise, basically has been turned over to someone new and different, J.J. Abrams. And just be, just by the trailers that we've all seen now, it looks fantastic. That being said, do you think that if George Lucas was really intelligent, and we all know he's a control freak, freak so this won't happen, but do you think that Star Wars would benefit for someone else taking over the reins of the series? I, I've got to, I, I think it probably would. I mean, going back to your sort of question of a couple of minutes ago, you, you know, how, how well do the movies hold up nowadays? They recently over here showed, um, probably about six months ago, they showed the first three movies uh, on TV uh, on successive weekends. I sat down and watched them with my son. Got to say, you know, there were big, big parts of mine was sat there thinking, you know what, this really doesn't hold up so well anymore. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and I, I think that, I mean, a lot of movies now are getting remade in Hollywood, and I wonder whether a better direction for Lucasfilm to go, uh, and, and yes, I would hope that George Lucas would kind of stay out of it and let somebody else do it, would be to kind of get, you know, re- remake the originals. Mm, um, I don't think that'll ever happen. And try and do them again. Oh. Yeah, but let's, let's be honest, the best Star Wars stories weren't even written by George Lucas. No, I no. would say Timothy Zahn wrote the best Star Wars movies. Exactly. Star Wars. Yeah, and, and I, that's, and that's another thing. I mean, we were talking about, you know, if they were to make a third trilogy, the, the, the expanded universe, as it's called, you know, the kind of all the mm. novels have been written, there is some really fantastic stuff in there, uh, and plenty of opportunity to adapt some of that and turn it into, uh, turn it into some new material. And again, you would hope that, that it would be done without um, George's particular style uh, and uh, proclivities. What do you think, Guy? Do you think the movies hold up, and do you think Star Wars would benefit for having someone else in the chief's chair? I, I think uh, I think that, that you could make more Star Wars movies, uh, and I don't see any reason why George Lucas couldn't be involved. I think uh, you know, well, well, maybe number, as an executive producer, but not well, as a number, writer and not as uh, a director. Uh, no, no, I definitely wouldn't want not to in, casting. In, in either in either one of those in either one of those roles. Uh, I, I think the original trilogy does hold up really well, where it fell apart for me and added absolutely nothing to the story, and would have been a better film without it. Was the Ewoks? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, don't be I an know. Ewok hater. They're furry. They're cute. They're like they're like they had like their little place. Chewbaccas. They, I understand they, that they had their but, place. They're, they're, it was basically but, showing yeah. that guerrilla warfare can work. 
That's why we shouldn't were, be well, in that, Iraq. Exactly. They were, they, <laughs> they were like little gorillas. That's but right. Yeah. There, there, wasn't, there wasn't anything that they did, really, that added to the story. Other well, than it was ironic. Out, oh, we're, we're killing stormtroopers. Well, like, it, you know, did. it did. It did. It, it was irony that this great big badass empire that's this technological terror was basically brought down because of this very primitive race on this little moon in the middle of nowhere. And that was their undoing because they kept underestimating everybody else. And that's you know why what? they lost. Uh, we'll you know have what? to, we'll you have know to what agree to disagree you know, there. I, yeah, I think you know that, go ahead, Dan. You know, you know what happened to the Ewoks? Three months after the end of, um, of uh, Return of the Jedi, they were all dead because that, that planet, that uh, forest moon was devastated by the explosion, that Death Star in orbit. We're talking about <laughs> nuclear holocaust, radioactivity, <laughs> yeah, contamination. Some suggest they are falling scale. from the sky, cats and exactly. dogs sleeping together, mass hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you're going in a whole different direction. <laughs> so, so, the, I, so I reckon the Ewoks were extinct. Yeah. So Ewoks they, and Wookiees. They got sleeping they got together. Their payback. <laughs> so, David, you, you probably know this, but there's one one version of that story is to uh, you remember at the end of Return of the Jedi, you've got the X wings flying past, and there's uh, fireworks coming out of them, seemingly. And uh, the, the, the 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 story to that is that they're actually blowing up bits of the Death Star rubble before it <laughs> destroys Endor. <laughs> so that's that's how that's retconned away, if you want. <laughs> that's funny. So on the next episode, in uh, which we'll be recording in two weeks, we're going to be talking about Star Trek. It's going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. I've always assumed that there was two camps out there. There's especially after having watched this fanboy movie where they really play up the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, There's always been two camps. You're either a Trekkie or a Yeah, I don't know what the (laughs) you're a Star Wars guy. I've always been both. I was a Star Wars guy first because, you know, mm-hmm. 1977 Star Wars comes out and I was hooked. But one of my favorite series of all time was Deep Space Nine. Absolutely love it. I am looking forward. Now, I can't say if it's going to be a great movie or not. All the reviews, Chad, right. are pointing very positively. But we, we don't know. We have to make up our mind this time tomorrow. Exactly this time yeah. tomorrow now. Um, so that's what the next show is going to be about. So what I want to do is I want to ask anybody who's listening to this, if you watch the new Star Trek movie and you want to share your views, send us email, send it to uh, review or no uh, feedback at mymac.com. So it's feedback at mymac.com. Send an audio. Review. And uh, you can send an yeah. MP3 file, too, if you want. And we will read that feedback on the next show. And I, I really want to know what you guys think of the new Star Trek. Um Neil, are you going to watch the new movie? I will, but I don't know when. Okay, well, you're not on the show, then. <laughs> I'm not on the show. That's well, you got two got, weeks, Neil. Two weeks. you got two weeks, Neil. Uh, Chad, I want to invite you back, because obviously yeah. I'm going to see the movie with you, and the same thing that we did uh, a while yeah. back with The Watchmen. Um, you know, Chad and I, we, we usually buddy up to go watch mm-hmm. the big movies like this, the geeky stuff, and, uh, well, my wife doesn't like to go to the movie theater at all. Yeah. So Chad's basically my movie buddy, and it just wouldn't be the same without having you here. Mm-hmm. Now we can obviously we're going to focus on the new movie a lot, but I also want to talk about Star Trek in general mm-hmm. um, because there's so much to cover. And again, we're it will probably be the first of a number of Star Trek episodes that we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So 
Anybody got anything before I wrap the show? I think that's just about it from me. Neil, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, first time you've been on the show, and I want to invite you back. Anytime you want to come on, just let us know, and uh, we'll make a room for you in the Skype call. Really enjoyable talking with you, and thanks for the Star Wars pictures that you sent me. That was great. <laughs> it inspired That's my. Very sweet. Did, did I tell you what my daughter said? No. She uh, she was looking at the pictures with me, and she goes, "Are there are those Star Wars figures, Dad?" And I said, "Yeah." She goes, "I want them." I said, "Well, we'll get you some." No, I want those. I said, oh. "No, no, those are Neil's." There's a mom. And, he, and she, she goes. Oh, is he young like me? And I said, "Oh no, he's actually my age, honey." Well, he doesn't want the toys then. He could he could send them to me. <laughs> and she she was flabbergasted the the fact that you have these toys she wants and you won't give them to her. <laughs> so We're I had to boys. explain we to keep her. Our toys forever. But here's the That's problem: right. I had to explain to her that when grown men get our age, <laughs> we get nostalgic for some of these old toys, mm-hmm. and sometimes we like to go back and get our old toys. Even if it's not exactly the one we owned, we'll find ones just like it, just so we can have them and remember when we were kids and how much we enjoyed them. Quite right. The problem was, my wife heard that, and afterwards she came up to me and she said, you know, we just cleaned out her room and got rid of a whole bunch of her toys. Do you not want to say that to her, please? Because she's going to want to keep everything now. <laughs> so, But I thought it was funny. She just She just could not fathom that... This person she doesn't know won't send her these toys. <laughs> in, 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 in another country, no. In another country. I, it was just really funny. Um, Guy, of course, absolutely uh, appreciate you last week going around and around with me. And uh, I, it's amazing that we put a show together and we had absolutely no idea what we were going to talk about. <laughs> I, I actually got... Uh, that, that, those are actually the best kinds of conversations that you and I have, have had. In the, I, I think so. And we can go back to the very first time we ever did that in Grand Rapids when you flew up for the 100th podcast. Right. You, me, and Chad sitting in your mm-hmm. hotel room. Yep. And it was a it was a lot of fun and and uh, as always I appreciate you coming on the show and David Cohen I know it's late there in the UK is same it is for Neil and uh, I really appreciate you coming on especially with you know you, you've got a little one there at home and you're already missing sleep <laughs> sleep is overrated overrated so Guy and David and Neil uh, if you guys watch the Star Trek movie and you want to be on the next show just let me know and I know Chad's going to watch it because yep. I have to drag him there. <laughs> you never drag me to that one. We want to encourage anybody who is listening to this podcast to subscribe to our other show. It's called the MyMac.com podcast. Uh, you can find out details on that at MyMac.com. And while you're at it, please go up to the iTunes Music Store and rate this show. We'd really appreciate it. So for Guy, Neil, David, and Chad, we're out of here. <laughs>